So I'm sitting here and it's getting hot, right? It's getting hotter and hotter. And I look at the clock. I set it for 45 minutes, but I rang it in 32 minutes. (laughs) I have power. (laughs) You didn't have that power. You, You were submitting to my authority. I'm a nice guy, so you didn't... You know, you know, it wasn't life-threatening. But to me, it indicates two things that, that the teaching talks about. Uh, understanding the mind and right action. So as I'm, as I'm sitting here and I'm noticing body getting hotter and hotter, I think could have a bit of sleepiness going on in the room here. Uh, is this really helpful? I'm not really feeling nice. But then first, before doing anything, I'll, I'll think I'll just observe the feeling of not feeling nice, the feeling of, of knowing it's hot, the feeling of wanting to move, the feeling of wanting to ring the bell. And I can do that. I can, at, at, any, at any moment of my experience, I can step out of the experience, as it were, not in a disassociative kind of a neurotic way, but I can see, oh, discomfort feels this way. And each time I notice that, that's non-grasping. But it's discomfort still there. Just the idea of non-grasping, knowing the way things are, uh, non-attachment, knowing the way things are. Hot feels this way. And that's, that's peaceful. But the hot is still uncomfortable for me. I said, okay, boss, <laughs> enough. Ring the bell. That's action. So I still acted, even though there was non-grasping, or you could later say to me, ah, sure, you couldn't take the 12 minutes. <laughs> Maybe it's true, right? So you, we could negotiate that uh, later. <laughs> but but the, one of the things I think very important to understand in, in, in Buddhism is that you have, you do have a social philosophy. Uh, you do have a, a sense of moral obligation. Uh, we do have a sense of selfhood situated in our families, in our cultures, and in our environments in the places we live. There is a sense of me living at Tisarna. And that's the conventional teachings, the, the, uh, the teachings around right livelihood, and um, the teachings around right speech. And, and uh, for me, the Vinaya that I have, the, the etiquette that I live by, the way uh, my community shares resources, the way I need to seek permission from another monk if I want to do this, this, or that. And that's the social convention I live by. It's the framework. It's the form. And to say to another monk, let's say I decide, well, ah, let's smoke a joint tonight. (laughs) I'm not attached to the rules. Pass the weed around and we'll have a party. Right? Other monks would say, sorry, Bhante, you can't. That's not what non-attachment's about. Back to your <laughs> That's not what a non-attachment's about, is it? You know, you think non-attachment means just doing what you want, but that's totally not it. Totally not it. 
So the way the, the, the teaching's been set up is, is that you have this, you have a, like your, your mind, your, your social situation has a commitment to goodness. It has a commitment to uh, the responsibilities you have in your family and community. I, I'm my situation. And, and, and that's how I live. So every, every, every fortnight, we come together and one of the monks recites the Patimokha, as, as most of you know. And, and then we, we talk about any issues that might be rising between us or, or in, in the way we uh, enact our lives. And there's always issues. Sometimes there's personal issues, but there's always cultural issues for us. You know, but, uh, how, do we, how do we do this in a Western culture? It always needs to be talked about. And then we come to an agreement. Or we say, no, no, let's wait till the next one. A lot of our agreements are wait till the next one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but that works too, in some ways. But then we have an agreement, and then because we've agreed by it, we then try to live by it. And we, we support each other in that way. And to, to then say to the monks, well, I don't, you know, I'm not attached to that agreement. <laughs> you couldn't live as a social being. You'd have to be a hermit. So that's very important because that's what I can surrender to. I give up to that reality, that reality, that social <coughs> reality which we've created. It's created, but it's given to us by the Buddha and then interpreted through the Thai force tradition through Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Sumedho, myself and others. So there's an interpretation. So I live in a culture. You know, I, I, live, in a, I live in a tradition. I live in a, uh, uh, a tradition of, of, of religious aspiration, a tradition of of um, renunciation, uh, a tradition like Ajahn Chah, a strong tradition of, of um, uh, craft. Right? So, like, in, um, if you've ever seen me eat my meal with a bowl, I have a bowl stand underneath, maybe you've seen that, and that's made of little bamboo rods that we create a, um, what was that, it's a, what's para, um, What's that geometric form? Two... Two... Pyra- uh, what do you call it? Come on, someone who knows math. Two triangles? Yeah, two... What's a triangle in three dimensions? Pyramid. No, it's in... Uh, 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 round one. Cylinder. Two... But a cylinder with a point in the end. Cone. Cone. <laughs> Got it. It was somewhere back there. The great man. So it's it's two cones and the points together, and and it's made by by uh, crossing uh, little bamboo sticks and then tying them together and then creating this circle up here and circle down there. You put your bowl on. And uh, I've watched that craft evolve in the, in the forty years I've been a monk, and it gets better and better. And Ajahn Chah had a really strong um, teaching around uh, learning to be intelligent with your hands. You know, re- learning to be intelligent through the things that you do. Like he would say to us Western monks, uh, you guys have got stupid feet because we always bump, you know, bumping our toes. They move just up here all the time. They think, 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 oh! <laughs> the wisdom of the body, the wisdom of hands, you know, the wisdom of doing. And there's a strong tradition of craft. So say Lompa Liam, who's coming to visit us, he's got a very, he's, a, he's an excellent craftsman, excellent craftsman. Plus he does 
pretty heavy construction work, and he's 75. And so there's a, there's a tradition. So I live, my, my definition as a person isn't just me as some kind of autonomous individual seeking my freedom, not situated in any social situation. No, I'm, I'm situated in, in a tradition, in, a, in an ethos, in, in moral, moral principles, in spiritual aspiration. And, and that, that sort of defines me in some way, defines my personality in some way. Huh? So that's the social ethos that I try to give myself to and function in. For lay people it's different. You know, you have, it's more varied, but same idea, family or vocation and variations and all of that. That's what you function in. So that's, that's the format that you're living in. And that's, one te- that's the teaching around right livelihood, about responsibility uh, in, in, in the way you relate, relate to your partner, the responsibility of the worker to the boss, the boss to the worker, the relationship of, of child to parent, of parent to child. There's always this, this, this lovely sense of, of mutual responsibility and caring. Um, and so the, you know, we have a lot of teaching around that. But then within that also... The teaching talks about phenomenology, and that's the way I actually phenomenologically experience this moment, because as I'm sitting here and it's getting hotter, what's the phenomena of my experience is bodily heat, a bit of restlessness, a bit of doubt, and then I have a responsibility. My social responsibility is, okay, so how can I conduct this afternoon in a way which is not too painful for you? And has some kind of meaning, so you don't walk away, so I'll never come back again, right? <laughs> so you know what's what's my responsibility to you, and then so I make I make some kind of decision because that's my responsibility sitting here. But then within that, I also have I like it, I dislike it. It's hot, it's cold. The phenomena of my experience, moment by moment, by moment by moment by moment by moment, right? Yeah. So these two things are very important to to understand in Buddhism, because if you don't, the teachings on anatta, on not-self, on emptiness, are very, very impossible to understand. Very impossible. Or non-attachment becomes, becomes just... A, you could use non-attachment in a way of just doing what you want, couldn't you? I'm not attached to the first precept. Bang! You're right? Well, I just rob banks. You know, it's just what I do. It's my, it's my real sense of purpose in life. I'm not attached. So it just wouldn't make sense. So Ajahn Chah would say, attach to the Vinaya and understand your suffering within that. Having said that, some monks would pick up the monastic rule in a very fearful way. And they'll become very unhappy rule keepers. Brilliant the rules. Absolutely brilliant. You have a question about the rules, they'll know. But they're not happy. Because they're attached to their convention. The other one... The other extreme, it's good to look at it, the other monk will say, well, you know, it's 2,500 years old, and we have to adapt. There's modern culture. Uh, Let's get a Ferrari, (laughs) or something. (laughs) And that's the rationalizing mind, saying it's not really, really important. And what's, what's in between is a sense of integrity, and an understanding of how to use social conventions for both the benefit of those around me and for the benefit of myself. And, and, and the teaching always says that, doesn't it? It says, um, are my actions a benefit 
to my family, to my culture, and benefit to myself. So it's neither just myself, nor is it just everyone else. It's like, are my compassions, uh, actions compassionate to others and to myself? So when you, when you, when you come like to a retreat or, or that this kind of situation, the, the social structure is already defined. Like to take a 10-day retreat, you've got eight precepts. Someone's cooking. You might be doing the dishes. You've got your little bit of that you have to do. You have your room. And so the, the social structure is established. Hence, it's easy. Right? Just bell rings, you go. Bell doesn't ring, you don't go. You just stand and watch and so on. And you have this chance to watch the phenomenology of liking and disliking, the phenomenology of your resentments coming up because the salad didn't have the right dressing or you know, significant matters <laughs> arise during a retreat of liking and disliking and so on. And you watch your suffering. That's what you're doing. You're watching your suffering. You're watching the conflicts that come up around this very easy social situation. But of course that's not real life. Not real life. Real life is much, much, much more complex. But it's the life. <coughs> so it's, an, it's a little kind of um, crucible to, to, to understand how to develop this, this second level of intelligence. Because we have the intelligence of being social beings, but also we need the intelligence of reflecting on when I feel hot, I feel uncomfortable and I don't want to do something. We have to have the intelligence of knowing the phenomenon of our conscious experience. And this kind of second level of observing the way things are is the practice of, of awareness of the five khandhas. So when we talk about Buddhism, we all often talk about, sometimes we'll talk about the five precepts. I take the precept to uh, refrain from killing living beings. I undertake that. I, me. I undertake to take that precept. Then we talk about the five khandhas. As many of you know, this is the way we define the, the mind-body experience. There's body, rupa, vedana, feeling, a sense of uh, attractive or unattractive in, in the world around me, the sense of being drawn or repelled by something. Sanya, perception or memory, the way we construct our world. You know, we have perceptions. Uh, this is a car. This is a clock. This is a carpet. It's 140. This is water. All of that constructs our world. And sanya, or, or perception, is built up in all kinds of ways. I have a personal history. Sankara is the mental formations, all the movements of both emotion and thought that go through us. And consciousness through the eye, ear, nose, tongue, mind, body, and I forgot one, ear. Um, so this is the way we, just, we talk about our, our, our experience of being human in a phenomenological way. And there, what we introduce there, the mind-body experience, is that it's impermanent, it's unsatisfactory, and is not self. It's not who you really are. There's no me or my in that. And if you don't, if you, if you, if you think through this deeply, you, when, you, when I began, it got really confusing. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to kill anyone. You're tasking me not to kill anyone, but you say, you say it's not self. Isn't there some kind of contradiction here? Well, it's not a contradiction. It's just the, the realization that social boundaries need a sense of personhood. You don't have that. You don't have society. And if you set that up well, and you do that well, then you can enter more deeply into contemplations of what the mind-body experience, and you can enter into the ideas of emptiness and not self. 
you can start to really go into meditation and really see, well, who is the guy that's doing this? Who is the agent? Who's doing this? Who is, who is the doer? That's a very important question in all spiritual undertakings. If you read about any mystical tradition, it always gets to the sense of surrender, letting go. St. John of the Cross, on his, he says, nothing, 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 up to the top. Um, who is it? Um, Merton, I think, says poverty is the greatest. Um, I forget, um, like Barami, the greatest virtue. Why poverty? Poverty of ego. And all through culture, read about the end of the ego. But that kind of investigation or that kind of refined spiritual contemplation can only take place if you understand your place in the world as a, as a conventional human being. And so, like, my experiences through monasticism, and then what I found, say, people, like people have asked me this, que- this question was kind of going around the monastery last month, is the idea that you have to develop a strong self before you can let go of self. Which I always found, that was a, I don't know if that exists, I guess it does, I don't know, around, in Buddhist circles. But, but what I found is that what was important to develop was not a strong sense of self, but a strong sense of me situated in a situation, and then my responsibility to that, and a development of character. And the development of character in Buddhism, for me, seemed not like my style, or my, my personality, or my aesthetic preferences, but character always seemed to me to be something that, that existed among all the, the fellow monks I lived with were very strong men, as I was saying last night, some very impressive men, and they were all different. Some were loud, some were not. You know, some were really good with craft, some were much more diligent, much more better with samadhi, some weren't. But what, what, un, what, un, what was in, in all of that was that there was patience, there was determination, there was honesty, there was the sense of deference to the teacher, there was humility. And that, that sense of character to me doesn't seem, it's not like a development of an ego or self, it's the development of, of characteristics of mind, which are not egotistical, but rather lay a foundation for this deeper investigation into the mind. And that's the teaching around the paramitas. So we have this teaching around the perfected virtues and, and the way we, we receive it as a, as a tradition, as a, as a mythology in Buddhism is through the Jataka tales, the former lives of the Buddha. So Buddhism has this, this really strong mythology and the former lives of the, the last life of the Buddha Vesantra, he developed generosity to such an extent that you can't really read about it to a Western culture. It's so, so extreme when he did. I would never even read that story to you in a Western culture. <coughs> From Sri Lanka, you know what he did, right? <laughs> and like Western culture, they go, oh, he was really all. <laughs> so these cultural formats we have. But, but generosity is not an egotistical thing. It could be. It could be, well, you know, like I, I give you a cup of coffee and you know, I want everyone to see me. I give you a cup of coffee. But mostly it's, it's not. It's just a characteristic of the human heart, which is very, very important. Very, very important. And that lays a foundation for the investigation of not-self and shunyata and emptiness, these different things, for the transcendent realizations, for the mystical realizations. So when I arrived at Wat Pong in, in, in those years, I've been th- thinking a lot about my history, as I was saying last night. 
And I got a picture of me and Goa in 1970. Very cool. <laughs> so I looked very cool, but actually I was very confused. <laughs> but I just, you know, just like coming into to Lompoc Cha, and I, I often talk about this, he said, you know, he looked at me, he said, you just have to be patient, mate. He didn't say mate. <laughs> but, it, you know, I complain about whatever. He said, well, you've not developed your mind. You don't have the paramita. You don't have the virtuous qualities. So there's, there's no way I'm going to kind of get into subtle uh, contemplations of anatta and emptiness when I was just, you know, ravenously greedy. I just irritated at someone because they got a bigger mango than me. And it was true. You know, someone would get, like, more goodies than me. You know, like, like he got two mangoes, and I'd be jealous. And I'd look at this stuff in my mind. This is ridiculous. But I was still jealous. Very embarrassing. But what, what became apparent was, this is not me, but it is conditioning that I have to somehow resolve to get the mind more settled, to get the mind more calm, so that I can go more deeply into the nature of being, into the nature of being a person and all of that. And so, rather than developing a strong ego where I don't feel jealous, I just had to endure jealousy. Through what? Through the contemplation of metta, putting that into my mind. I had to develop more sense of um, contentment with little. So, you know, I had a lot of greed come up in my mind. I never thought I was particularly greedy. You know, kind of an average guy. But I was, because I could get whatever I wanted on the road when I was traveling. And then all of a sudden, the monastery got nothing, really. I mean, sometimes it was like really grim. And, and Ajahn Chah would say, Santuti, content with a little. And that became a practice rather than a thing. I didn't demand that of myself, I couldn't. But I could begin to train my mind. And this is a development of characteristic. And it wasn't like egotism would, to me would be, you shouldn't feel greedy, Virendamu, now you should be content. That's egotism. Mindfulness and development of character, development of Barami, seems to me more like, ah, oh, greed feels this way. And the teacher says, this is the reality, as I was saying last night, you have to give yourself to the reality. This is greed. The teacher says, not a good one to follow. How am I following greed? Ah, oh, I'm complaining. Ah, with greed as condition, I complain about the food. And then the teacher says, yeah, but contentment with little. If you do that, if you develop that character habit, your mind's going to be much more calm, and the samadhi will start to work. I say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so then my mind wants to go to complaining, say, yeah, yeah, but these people have given me their very best. I'll just try to be content with this. For five seconds, I'm content. Right? Then I hit the chili sauce on my mango, right? <laughs> because we eat out of the bowl. And some, the monks used to, they used to put the food in the bowl. The senior monks took the food, junior monks sitting there. So I get, I get this dynamite chili sauce that just blows your head away on my mango. My mango. <laughs> and all of a sudden the equanimity and oh I'm content with a little blows up in my face or in my eyes in this case and oh God, this suffering feels this way it feels this way yes I don't know. you can go if you want yeah okay and you just you just suffer through it don't you but you don't just grin and bear it. you try to move the mind 
you gotta shift them onto something wholesome. You know, and these are these are <laughs> extremes and so on, but they're kind of really fundamental to me becoming a decent person in the world. Not a not not egotism. It's growing up, isn't it? It's just the the, the project of becoming a grown up. And we all have done that, haven't we? In different ways, we face different things: being a parent or being a, uh, doing whatever. And this this kind of development is in a social situation. It's not devoid of a social situation. And, and, and the constraints of the social situation, its moral philosophy, help me to understand myself. Now, if I just had my choice, somehow, that Ajahn Shah said, well, you're a Westerner, and you need special food, right? And, 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 and we'll set up for you really comfy air conditioning. Tall, we'll give you a tall kuti. He's always whacking your head in the short <laughs> kuti. We'll give you a tall kuti, you know, because you're special. I, I wouldn't have learned a damn thing. I'd just be a sport brat. But Ajahn Shah said, that, end of the line. So I was number 50 of 50. <laughs> right? And uh, the, the, the way the meals worked, that Ajahn Shah would... Um, the, the ethos is that you, the monk, you don't start eating until the monk in front of you starts. I'm 50 of 50. <laughs> I'm very hungry. <laughs> Once a day. Even though it's simple. So uh, Ajahn Chah comes in. He's always mucking about. Did we start eating? I mean, I didn't say it. Mm-hmm. I'm, sitting, trying, I'm trying to be cool, right? <laughs> I'm trying to look cool, but my mind is burning inside, right? You know? And then he kind of does this, and he does that, and he does this, and then he does that. Uh, he's playing with us. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> and I'm biting. <laughs> so he finishes organizing his little trays and he's got a mass of food. He <laughs> 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 so, you know, finally takes a bite. And, I, and then I'm <laughs> looking down the line. <laughs> and, uh, and then I get some garlic. Two monks above me, he's going to do an extra contemplation. <laughs> he's going to be extra cool, you know? So I could cheat. I said, it doesn't really matter, it's just a tradition. I could start right away. But, and no one would care. I wouldn't have got thrown out. But no, no, this is, a, this is, a, this is the honor system. This is something I want to develop. So what am I doing? I'm looking at all that silliness and saying, yeah, but... What would be skillful would be patience. Yeah, borrow me. So I develop character. But the character, development of character, is not devoid of my social situation. That's all the way we all learn. And so much of Buddhism talks about that development of character. Morality, generosity, a sense of renunciation, honesty, determination, energy, patience, compassion, equanimity. These these are the characteristics of the, the kind of methodology of character that you develop. And they're not the goal. That's not the goal. It's not the goal to be the perfect person. Because it's not about personhood. It's about the mind being trained to be settled, to be still, to be in the moment, to be open-hearted, to be compassionate to the way things are. And then, and then you can enter into teachings which are more subtle. Samadhi improves, 
the capacity to hold attention, the capacity to inquire into the very sense of personhood, into the sense of the doer, the actor. These are very difficult questions, and they cannot be answered through intellect. They cannot be answered through silence. And then there's the, the kind of penetration through that, and the kind of liberation from ignorance, from wrong seeing, from avijja, from not understanding clearly. And that, 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 that understanding comes from the stillness of mind. So if you, if you look at the kind of Buddhist project in that broad way, then although those experiences of, of, of um, frustration and so on that I had were, were not nice, they were, they, were, they were fundamental to me, my, my being a human. And they're fundamental to my adulthood as well as to my, my social adulthood as well as to my spiritual aspiration. And, and, and we have to live on those two levels, don't we? We can't just live on some kind of, you know, some kind of meditative autism or something. <laughs> you just kind of get zoned in and don't live your life. But then if you only live your life in a social sense, you'll never understand that possibility that the Buddha was presenting to us. So there is, you know, Buddhism isn't just a, a, a psychology to be a better adjusted person in a maladjusted world. It's not that. It's more than that. It's necessary, but that's not its purpose. It's not just uh, psychology of Buddhism. Psychology is important because it right psychology because it lays a foundation. But there, the Buddha had a realization, and that's that's why we remember him. There is there is a there is a possibility of deep silence and deep compassion, and it comes about through through like good social living, and then that contemplative side. So we're always developing. Trying to be, trying to do our social side as well as we can, and we're always developing that stre- that strength of contemplation. So, uh, like I'm 68 years old now, and to be honest, I would rather have no disciples, monks especially, because <laughs> sometimes they have a lot of problems. You know, I get a young guy who's who's basically maybe sat on a sofa for 10 years, right? kind of got some marks in school, good enough, but basically he's, he's done video games, <laughs> sat on a sofa, and is an expert in movies. Great. <laughs> Can you lift a shovel? <laughs> and really, you know, so here's this human being who is uh, very sincere, very sincere, but not much worldly skill. Not much skill. And I'm shocked, actually, that what, you know, well, I asked someone, like, he didn't know what Napoleon was. Really? No history. Hmm, interesting. Shovel? What is it? Blank? Sort of raw material. Isn't that great? But also a lot of bad habits. Now, I never wanted to be a father, by the way. <laughs> but it's my life. I'm situated in this life. Right? I'm not situated in another life, and so this is my life. And so, what's right for me to do? You know, is it right for me to kind of just do what I want? No, it's right for me is to try to serve. Now, I don't like it all the time. I'd rather have little arahants coming in. <laughs> I'd like to have little 12 year arahants coming in and then staying until arahants, you know, until I die. <laughs> Ten of them. <laughs> good cooks. I think I have good cooks. <laughs> So, so this is this. I'm situated in this situation, and, and, and these are the parameters that I'm always trying to 
do well, right? I don't always do it well, but I give it a go. And then I get irritated, and then, then I go back, and then I watch the phenomenon of irritation. Phenomenon of irritation is this way. And there's a social situation, so I say, well, if this social situation wouldn't exist, I wouldn't feel irritated. Big deal. I wouldn't feel irritated. In other words, if I lived on planet Mars or something like that, <laughs> which is a non But no, it's this situation, and you're still not, you're still not free, Virgamo. As long as this irritates you, you've still got stuff. You know, he's still got baggage, okay? All right, I'll work with this. And that, that sense of social responsibility and then the phenomenon of mind. The irritation from the situation and then this is the phenomenon of irritation. We're always doing both. We're not just locked into some kind of narcissism of, 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 of self-concern. That's not that. It, it's, uh, it, it, it's generous action in the world but honesty about what the world is, what we're creating in the mind around the world. Both, both are very important. Because if you just take the kind of contemplative side, it can sound very narcissistic and selfish, Buddhism. It can really go that way. If you just take the altruistic side, then you just get burned out. You just get burnt out in a sense of kind of a high goodness. But if you take both, altruism and service, these are beautiful, beautiful ways to live. But then you also cultivate the mind and then I think you have the whole teaching, you know, the way the whole teaching works. All right, there you go. And be prepared for your reflection. Sadhu, 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 sadhu.